Welcome to On Fire. This is the On Fire podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Allen. I wanted to just share with you a quick story. I know of a young man whose dad was a very prominent church leader. And despite his dad's position of prominence, there was something about, about the gospel and living righteously that just didn't click with this young man. His parents were wonderful examples and, and taught him what was right, but he just wanted to do his own thing. And eventually it got to the point that this young man went from just being worldly and, and making poor personal choices to speaking out against the church. Um, the, the young man was, was very good with words and convinced a good number of people that the church was restrictive and foolish and he, he started having success getting people to actually leave the church and to break their covenants. He, he became a very effective enemy of the church. And at one point, right in, in the thick of his opposition to the church, he had an experience that changed everything. Uh, his heart changed, his character and nature were, were changed. He stopped trying to lead people away from the church. Uh, in fact, he went back to the people he had led away and tried to bring them back to the church. He did everything he could to repair the damage that he had done. So fast forward about nine years from this point, and this same young man uh, received the, the same prominent calling in the church that his dad had held previously. He also became uh, an important civic leader who was trusted to make and enforce public policy. And after a while, he gave up that position, the position in the government, and focused all of his attention on serving in the church. Um, his calling involved a lot of traveling to different places. And everywhere he went, he strengthened the units of the church and preached, preached to and baptized thousands of new converts. At one point, he was very heavily persecuted for, for preaching about Christ. Um, he, he and his companion were severely mistreated and even put in prison. And it took a miracle, a literal miracle to get them out of prison, but the Lord protected them and they, and they were able to escape. Um, so after serving faithfully for many years, this man called his sons together and gave them each a priesthood blessing. And once he had done that, he left on a trip by himself. And that was the last anyone saw of him. There was never a burial or a funeral for him. And those who were close to him and, and the church members who, who knew him believed that he had been translated and taken up to heaven the way that Moses was, probably to join the city of Enoch or the Zion of Enoch who were also translated. Okay, now if you haven't caught on yet, this man is Alma the Younger from the Book of Mormon. Uh, his story is, is really, really miraculous. The dramatic change in his life was very unique. He made a complete 180 in a relatively short period of time. And I want to talk about that short period of time and what actually happened that caused this unbelievable change. So let's look at Alma's own words. He has a couple of, of different accounts that he gives. Um, the first one is in Mosiah chapter 27, uh, starting in verse 24. For said he, I have repented of my sins and have been redeemed of the Lord. Behold, I am born of the Spirit. And the Lord said unto me, Marvel not that all mankind, yea, men and women, all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people must be born again. 
yea, born of God, changed from their carnal and fallen state to a state of righteousness, being redeemed of God, becoming his sons and daughters. And thus they become new creatures. And unless they do this, they can in no wise inherit the kingdom of God. I say unto you, unless this be the case, they must be cast off. And this I know because I was like to be cast off. Nevertheless, after waiting through much tribulation, repenting nigh unto death, the Lord in mercy hath seen fit to snatch me out of an everlasting burning, and I am born of God. My soul hath been redeemed from the gall of bitterness and the bonds of iniquity. I was in the darkest abyss, but now I behold the marvelous light of God. My soul was racked with eternal torment, but I am snatched, and my soul is pained no more. All right, so that was given right after he, he woke up, basically, from the uh, kind of the coma that he was in. And then later in his life, he wrote to his son Helaman and retold Helaman the story. And this is found in Alma chapter 36. I'm going to start in verse 12. But I was racked with eternal torment, for my soul was harrowed up to the greatest degree and racked with all my sins. Yea, I did remember all my sins and iniquities, for which I was tormented with the pains of hell. Yea, I saw that I had rebelled against my God, and that I had not kept his holy commandments. Yea, and I had murdered many of his children, or rather led them away unto destruction. Yea, and in fine, so great had been my iniquities, that the very thought of coming into the presence of my God did rack my soul with inexpressible horror. Oh, thought I, that I could be banished and become extinct, both soul and body, that I might not be brought to stand in the presence of God to be judged of my deeds. And now for three days and for three nights I was racked, even with the pains of a damned soul. And it came to pass that as I was thus racked with torment, while I was harrowed up by the memory of my many sins, behold, I remembered also to have heard my father prophesy unto the people concerning the coming of one Jesus Christ, a son of God, to atone for the sins of the world. Now, as my mind caught hold upon this thought, I cried within my heart, O oh, Jesus, thou son of God, have mercy on me, who am in the gall of bitterness and am encircled about by the everlasting chains of death. And now behold, when I thought this, I could remember my pains no more. Yea, I was harrowed up by the memory of my sins no more. And oh, what joy and what marvelous light I did behold. Yea, my soul was filled with joy as exceeding as was my pain. Yea, I say unto you, my son, that there could be nothing so exquisite and so bitter as were my pains. Yea, and again I say unto you, my son, that on the other hand, there can be nothing so exquisite and sweet as was my joy. Yea, methought I saw, even as our father Lehi saw, God sitting upon his throne, surrounded with numberless concourses of angels, in the attitude of singing and praising their God. Yea, and my soul did long to be there. But behold, my limbs did receive their strength again, and I stood upon my feet, and did manifest unto the people that I had been born of God. Yea, and from that time even until now, I have labored without ceasing, that I might bring souls unto repentance, that I might bring them to taste of the exceeding joy of which I did taste, that they might also be born of God and be filled with the Holy Ghost. All right, so there are two key things that happened that facilitated a huge change in Alma and in his life. We're going to talk about the first one. Uh, the first one made it possible for the second to occur. Alma repented. 
That's the first one. He recognized that he had done wrong and done some serious wrong. Uh, the recognition of his sin combined with the Lord, allowing him to experience, I, I think, a small degree of justice uh, caused him extreme pain. But just because this was a relatively quick process, much quicker than it is for most of us, we shouldn't suppose that Alma's road was an easy one. He described his experience and as being in the gall of bitterness and, and suffering for his sins as being racked with inexpressible horror. He wished that his that he could be banished and become extinct, both soul and body, that he might not be brought to stand in the presence of his God to be judged of his deed. He basically experienced hell for three days and th for three nights with the pains of a damned soul. He said uh, he repented nigh unto death. He felt he was actually close to death uh, as he as he was was suffering for his sins. And then at the height of his suffering and at his darkest moment, he did something that is a critical part, a critical component of repenting. He cried within his heart, O oh Jesus, thou son of God, have mercy on me. He cried out for mercy to the one being who had the power to extend it. He had ignored and rejected what his father Alma had tried to teach him, but he remembered who his father had identified as the Messiah and Savior. And he reached out to him for all he was worth. And Jesus responded spectacularly. Alma says, And oh, what joy and what marvelous light I did behold. Yea, my soul was filled with joy, with joy as exceeding as was my pain. Yea, I say unto you, my son, that there could be nothing so exquisite and so bitter as were my pains. Yea, and again I say unto you, my son, that on the other hand, there can be nothing so exquisite and sweet as was my joy. Right now, this was followed by a second comforter experience. Alma sees in vision, uh, sees a vision of God on his throne, um, surrounded by singing angels. Um, so that's that's quite a turnaround. Uh, and what what strikes me about this story is that Alma actually deserved what he had experienced as a result of his sins. He did not deserve the opposite experience of being relieved of his suffering and being filled with exquisite joy and then seeing God in heaven. Uh, but I imagine our Savior absolutely loving being able to provide this for Alma. Uh, even though Alma's sins would, would, one, would one day cause suffering uh, far be sorry, I'm trying to say that even though Alma's sins would one day cause the Savior suffering um, far beyond what Alma experienced, Jesus delighted to forgive him and, and redeem him. That's who he is. Uh, he isn't rigid and selective in, in who he is willing to forgive and bless. He wants to do that for everyone who is willing to repent. Um, unfortunately, many of us don't view repentance as a positive thing. Uh, President Russell M. Nelson taught this. This is from his talk, uh, We Can Do Better and Be Better. It was priesthood session of the April 2019 General Conference. He said this, quote, Too many people consider repentance as punishment, something to be avoided except in the most serious circumstances. But this feeling of being penalized is engendered by Satan. 
He tries to block us from looking to Jesus Christ, who stands with open arms, hoping and willing to forgive, to heal, forgive, cleanse, strengthen, purify, and sanctify us. Close quote. There, there isn't a gift. I, I don't believe there, there's a greater gift that has been given to mankind than the opportunity to repent. Repentance is an absolute core principle in the gospel, right? It's part of the fourth article of faith. Um, if anyone listening to my voice right now feels like repentance is a punishment or is only necessary for really serious sins, I want to change your mind and, and dispel that misunderstanding right now, because this is critical for every single one of us. Uh, in the same talk um, I just mentioned uh, from President Nelson, he taught the meaning of repentance. He said this, quote, the word for repentance in the Greek New Testament is montaneo, is metaneo. The, the prefix meta means change. The suffix neo is related to Greek words that mean mind, knowledge, spirit, and breath. I mean, I've pronounced that right. Sorry, <laughs> my Greek is a little rusty going on with President Nelson's word. Thus, when Jesus asks you and me to repent, he is inviting us to change our mind, our knowledge, our spirit, even the way we breathe. He is asking us to change the way we love, think, serve, spend our time, treat our wives, teach our children, and even care for our bodies. Nothing is more liberating, more ennobling, or more crucial to our individual progression than is a regular daily focus on repentance. Repentance is not an event. It is a process. It is the key to happiness and peace of mind. When coupled with faith, repentance opens our access to the power of the atonement of Jesus Christ. Whether you are diligently moving along the covenant path, have slipped or stepped from the covenant path, or can't even see the path from where you are now, I plead with you to repent. Experience the strengthening power of daily repentance, of doing and being a little better each day. When we choose to repent, we choose to change. We allow the Savior to transform us into the best version of ourselves. We choose to grow spiritually and receive joy, the joy of redemption in Him. When we choose to repent, we choose to become more like Jesus Christ. Close quote. All right. When, when I was young, um, and, and going to church Sunday school and, um, and my quorum meetings, I remember being taught how to repent and it involved, uh, several R words. I don't know if I remember all of them. Uh, I re remember, uh, recognition, uh, remorse and restitution. That's all I can remember. Those, those three, maybe there's another one that it's definitely missing, um, missing something. And that would be, um, pleading for mercy or praying and asking for forgiveness. Maybe there was another our word uh, in there that I, I can't think of that, that covers that. But anyway, I don't want to complicate it for anyone by, by prescribing a specific process. What we are, uh, <coughs> excuse me, what we are essentially doing when we repent is acknowledging that we've sinned and then pleading for mercy and forgiveness and showing a, a genuine desire to change. Repenting activates faith. So what we sometimes believe is faith is merely belief until we exercise it by actually doing something. Our faith should be directed 
to Jesus Christ. It should be, it should be faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we have faith in him. We trust that he can forgive and, and heal us, that he can and will do that. So it's interesting that many people believe they possess things here in mortality. They think they have what they have because of their own merit. And while, while I believe genius and hard work might be uh, rewarded and um, with money and, and with physical possessions temporarily, we actually own nothing. We come into this world naked and, and own nothing, and we leave, we leave this world in a similar fashion. The one thing that you and I actually own and can control is our agency, is our will. Um, we have the power to make decisions, and that's, that's all that's truly ours that, that we have that isn't given to us by God. Um, the prophet Nephi in the Book of Mormon teaches us that, uh, teaches us what we ought to do with that one thing that we own. This is uh, 2 Nephi uh, chapter 10, starting in verse 23. Cheer up your hearts and remember that ye are free to act for yourselves, to choose the way of everlasting death or the way of eternal life. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, reconcile yourselves to the will of God and not to the will of the devil and the flesh. And remember, after ye are reconciled unto God, that it is only in and through the grace of God that ye are saved. Okay, so what does the word reconcile mean? What does it mean to be reconciled? Uh, it means to restore to, re restore to friendship or harmony, uh, to settle or resolve differences, to make consistent or congruous. Basically, to be reconciled to someone means to make up with that person. Probably the easiest way to put it. Uh, in this case, we make up with God and align our will to his. Nephi also taught this, 2 Nephi 25, verse 23, For we labor diligently to write, to persuade our children, and also our brethren, to believe in Christ, and to be reconciled to God. For we know that it is by grace that we are saved, after all we can do. I've heard this taught in, in several different ways, and I want to be clear that it is not a correct understanding of this passage to believe that our receiving salvation or forgiveness consists of us doing all the good works that we can, and then Jesus makes up the rest. That's not how it works. There really is only one thing we can do to affect our salvation, and that's what Nephi is telling us to do. Be reconciled to God. That is the all we can do that Nephi is referring to. When we do that, when we repent and align our will with his, with the Lord's, we qualify to receive his grace. And that grace alone is what is responsible for our salvation. Uh, so I want to invite everyone listening to this. Please, please reconcile yourself to the will of God and repent and repent every day. Let's you and I be like the people of King Benjamin in the Book of Mormon. Um, this is from Mosiah 4, verse 2, who had viewed themselves in their own carnal state, even less than the dust of the earth. And they all cried aloud with one voice saying, Oh, have mercy and apply the atoning blood of Christ that we may receive forgiveness of our sins and our hearts may be purified. For we believe in Jesus Christ, 
the Son of God. All right, I, I'll, I'll kind of close this topic with, um, with this counsel from President Nelson from the same talk I referenced earlier. Quote, we know what will give us greater access to the powers of heaven. We also know what will hinder our progress. What we need to stop doing, what we need to stop doing to increase our access to the powers of heaven. Brethren, prayerfully seek to understand what stands in the way of your repentance. Identify what stops you from repenting and then change, repent. All of us can do better and be better than ever before. Now I mentioned, that's close quote, end of the quote there. Uh, I mentioned at the, at the beginning uh, that there were two key things that happened that facilitated a huge change in Alma's life. The first was Alma's repentance and we'll discuss the other key in the next episode. Uh, but let me, uh, let me just close by expressing my most sincere gratitude for the amazing gift of repentance. Like the, the prophet Jacob in the Book of Mormon, I say, oh, the wisdom of God and his mercy and grace. I myself am a frequent recipient of the mercy of Jesus Christ. And that puts me in a position to witness to you that his atonement is real and that he has power to forgive sins and to save the repentant sinner. And I witness and testify of that in the holy name of my Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.